This is Caught in the Act with Tim Clark. Hello, this is Tim Clark, and again, welcome to the latest episode of Caught in the Act. Feral and fascinating. Arrested, but still arresting. The membership and movements of this state's bikey gangs have been newsworthy almost before this ageing news correspondent was born. In March 1974, in the Beverly Times, the splash story on the front page was headlined Bikey Louts on Country Rampage. The copy screamed of terrorist activities on an unprecedented scale coming to the West, with reports of arrests made and weapons seized in Brookton, Collie, Narragin and Williams. According to the story, the invasion prompted the biggest show of police strength ever seen in WA, with the names of the groups of bikies involved a reflection of their mentalities, according to the paper. God's Garbage, Club Deros, Satan's Commandos and Coffin Cheaters. And the final paragraph was unequivocal. The Minister for Police and the Government will have support in taking strong action to guarantee that such violence which threatened will not arise in future and will be adequately dealt with, even if new legislation is required. Sound familiar? Crews are tightening on WA's biggest bikey gang. Rebels bikies put on notice at the crack of dawn. Australia's toughest anti-bikey laws come into effect by Christmas. Uh, And Matt, the government says initially these new laws will target high-profile bikies. We're nearly 50 years on from that invasion and our courts are still creaking under the weight of cases involving the latest set of new laws installed by government taking strong action against outlaw motorcycle gang members. And some of those members are seemingly more media savvy than ever. Joining me this week is Michael Tudori, partner at law firm Tudori Hager Grubb, one of the busiest barristers in Perth, partly because of his client list, including a decent number of heavy set motorcycle enthusiasts. Good afternoon, Mike. Thanks for uh, joining us on Court in the Act. Yes, good afternoon, Tim. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey in the law to this point. Yes, well, uh, just something to reflect on when I get asked that question, you know, um, how old I'm getting. So I've been a criminal lawyer now in this state for about 27 years. Um, so I've certainly seen the rise and rise of criminal organisations, but also the rise and rise of various uh, motorcycle clubs, <laughs> and over that time, um, various politicians, various, um, uh, whether it be Liberal or Labor um, politicians, all trying to uh, flex their muscles to slow what I see is an incredibly um, steady growth of recruitment. Mm. And uh, that's that's an interesting way of putting it, um, steady growth, because I remember probably 20 years ago, uh, a former Attorney General in Jim McGinty actually sitting on a Harley outside of Parliament, um, professing that um, it, it was it, he was the man that was going to end this scourge. But uh, 20 years on from that, um, the, uh, the state's 
um, highest law officer um, is again or has again been uh, sort of wielding the sword of justice um, and saying, no, it's, it's, it's these laws that are going to um, stop these boys in their tracks. And of course, these laws have not achieved that <laughs> one bit. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, so look, in September 2020, um, in a regulation daily court list, the name Dane Marcus Brakovich sat amongst the many others next to a charge of driving a motorcycle without wearing protective helmet. Two months later, that same Brakovich was sat at a cafe in Scarborough, briefly, before violence erupted and ham fist punches were thrown between himself and Nicholas Thomas Martin. Brakovich was a senior Hells Angel at the time. Martin was the most senior rebel in the state. And the sight of the two men hammering each other at a coastline cafe was not only a shock to those there, but to many others beyond. Since that day, Brakovich has become the face of this state's so-called one percenters, a face entirely covered with tattoo ink. And it is believed that it was those tattoos on full display when Brakovich attended court to answer a charge stemming from that brawl with Nick Martin, which prompted Attorney General John Quigley to act. We're coming for the bikies. Keep on disrupting and make this the most inhospitable jurisdiction in Australia. Alongside Police Minister Paul Papalia, John Quigley came up with sweeping legislation. The Unlawful Consorting and Prohibited Insignia Bill, which effectively banned bikies from being bikies in public. Mike, uh, talk us through the crux of this law and and what it's mel- me- meant in, in practice. Well, this little bit of legislation, um, it's not just on tattoos or insignia. There's various aspects of it. Um, once, one part of it is the... That you, that you cannot display, and that word display, in inverted commas, is a key part to the, um, the legislation. Mm. But you can't display your club logo or club name in public. Uh, that's one part. The other part is that, that if you get issued with certain um, notices, you can't hang out with each other in public. You can't consort with each other in public. So there's various aspects of the legislation, but... Um, the reality of it is that, um, you know, going back to tattoos, you know, the public, you know, a biker has a certain appearance. Whether they've got a club name or a club tattoo on them or not, the public can tell straight away whether that person's a biker or not. So just by having a club name tattooed on your arm or your neck, um, it's not deterring any person from being a bikey. And certainly, all the bikers do, they just cover it up. Mm. Nothing changes. Yeah, and you're, you're right. They, they, all, they all either have the tattoos um, or, in some cases, are still getting the tattoos. Um, and they're, they're a sign of, in, in, that, in that culture, I, I believe, they're a sign of the, the brotherhood and the commitment to the cause and... and and those type of things. Um, so you don't feel that a ban on having them in public makes um, any any difference at all? No, no. And look, you know, I said I've been doing this for a very long time. I can tell you there is a large percentage of bikies 
that don't have any tattoos. Zero. Or if they do have a tattoo, it'll be on their chest or somewhere where a shirt will cover it up or the general public wouldn't see. So just by prohibiting bikies from displaying the tattoo, it doesn't achieve a single thing. Hmm. And there's also the colours. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're a very obviously distinctive but also important part of their culture. You're only supposed to wear them um, at, at, at certain places and you're not allowed to, you know, there's only certain members are allowed to wear certain patches and, and that type of thing. Being devil's advocate, I suppose Mr. Quigley and Mr. Papalier said, well, if you're not allowed to wear those colours um, in in public, that, you know, takes away your authority or something like that. Is, is that what, is that how your clients see it or, or, or do they see that as a, just a bit of a, bit of a, um, you know, a, a toothless tiger? Oh, it's a complete toothless tiger. And look, I'm, I'm not coming on the show to just completely can, you know, bag or can, you know, some of these, these government legislations, but... The, 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 the government's going about it the wrong way. You see, when a nominee or a prospect earns their time to become a member, they get rewarded or they get um, given their colours, their patch. And that's not owned by the member, it's owned by the club and always is owned by the club. Mm-hmm. So when you receive your, your patch, you're a full-fledged member. But, um, you know, and if they have private gatherings... They'll wear their full colours with their full um, patches to determine their hierarchy and their, you know, their length of time in the club and seniority and position. But again, um, you know, the government thinks, well, let's just ban those insignia, let's just ban those, those club patches um, when in public. But of course, see, I'm not too sure what that achieves because a member of the public... To them, you're either a bikey or you're not, whether you're the sergeant-at-arms or whether you're the treasurer or the secretary or the, the chapter president. Um, that probably matters little to the public. Um, so by disarming that, I'm, I'm not too sure what, what it's trying to achieve um, in the public eyes or for the, for the government to, to, um, to deter. Mm. Now, since his passage, the, the passage of these laws, dozens of allegations of displaying insignia of an identified organisation in a public place have been laid in courts all across the state. But not all of them have been successful. There have been defences raised, acquittals earned and appeals won. This is a legal milestone for WA's underworld. Three bikies have been convicted under WA's strict anti-insignia laws, but the case wasn't a total success for prosecutors. Mike, new laws always bring new legal implications. What have been some of those that you've seen in practice? Well, the implications are, especially with this, so you have to understand, let's just look at the cost of bringing a prosecution Mm -hmm. against a person. It costs the taxpayers a lot of money. Um, there must be statistics on it. The government have all of that. They're often not released. But to charge someone with, say, for instance, running into Bunnings to get a quick um, re- parts to fix his retic, <laughs> forgets to cover up his his, his um, tattoo or wearing a club T-shirt, not bothering anybody, gets in silently, pays his money and leaves, and later on, the police go and check the CCTV and say, right, we're going to charge that person. The cost of that's insane. Yet, if that person, let's just say hypothetically that 
member pleads guilty to it, the most he's going to get fined three to five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. even on his third or fourth breach of it. Now, let's just say that that member uh, decides to challenge it. If he gets convicted, we've run a whole case. We've run a whole, uh, you know, tied up court times, magistrates cost, witnesses come. He might get a five, six hundred dollar fine. I don't see the value in that. If that um, member of IT gets acquitted, the costs that he or she receives back under the official prosecutions are, can be ten, fifteen thousand dollars. For example, I, I had a, a prosecution recently of, of a uh, insignia at at a bar. My client got off, and he was awarded about twelve thousand dollars in costs against the police for that prosecution. So in terms of implications, it has to be said, is there value in money for the, for the taxpayers? Mm. Is not. Yeah. <clears throat> because it's not achieving what the government wants to achieve. And, and it uh, never will. Mm. And another... Uh, recent case that we followed at the West Australian, um, a chap called Nathan Greenway, quite a distinctive looking yep. fella, um, was charged in uh, with displaying um, an insignia, um, not a tattoo, not a shirt. It was actually a ring uh, that um, depicted the, the particular uh, gang that he was affiliated to. He went to trial. He got convicted. He then appealed that to the highest court in the state and actually won that appeal. So when you go that far through the judicial um, process, Mike, you're talking, um, uh, well, exponential costs. Oh, it'd be in excess, 50, in excess of fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 plus mm. to his taxpayers, probably more. And, of course, the most high profile of those insignia charges which didn't result in a conviction, Dane Marcus Brakovich. During a frankly bizarre trial last December, Brakovich was the main piece of evidence and the star witness. The case revolved around police officers who swore blind it was Brakovich they had seen walking past Ascot Racecourse in all his Hell's Angel glory. Senior Sergeant Graham Doran says he was 20 metres away, but there was no doubt in his mind this person was Mr Brakovich because he's very hard to miss and has a unique walk. Dane Brakovich denies the allegations. He says he wasn't at Ascot Racecourse that day in January. By then, he'd been kicked out of the club, so he wouldn't have been wearing their shirt. He says that man was walking like a homie G, and he walks looking like a million bucks. Yes, you'd think Mr. Brakovich would be hard to miss, right? Hard to mistake. But the man himself said it wasn't him. And he also revealed that it wasn't even a Hell's Angel anymore. This is me quoting Mr. Brakovich on the stand. I had Hell's Angels everything. The only thing I didn't have was Hell's Angels socks and jocks. And I got rid of the lot. I wasn't going to wear anything Hell's Angels after they kicked me out. Now that ejection was news in itself. The fact that the former sergeant at arms wore makeup every day was another juicy sliver. Another charge alleged that Brakovich's bikey tattoos had been on display at a shopping centre. But because Brakovich said his wife was able to weave her magic with her makeup every morning, he said police wouldn't have been able to tell one tattoo from the hundreds of others adorning his body. 
And he claims all of his tattoos were covered up when police say he flaunted them at Belmont Shopping Centre that his wife used texter and foundation on him every morning until he got them permanently patched over. The classic, he said, he said scenario. And ultimately, the magistrate ruled that she had no reason to reject Mr Brakovich's arguments and his clear resentment and anger towards the Hells Angels. So she had to acquit. WA's most notorious outlaw has won a landmark legal victory over the state's new anti-bikey laws. Former Hells Angel Dane Brakovich is the first to be acquitted of displaying a banned insignia at trial. Now police will have to pay him. The acquittal was obviously a major blow to Mr Quigley, Mr Papalia and the police commissioner. Commissioner Cole Blige wasn't giving much away either when notified of this morning's ruling. Look, we have to put the best evidence we can at court. The court makes the decision. I stand by the court's decision. Uh, again, I'll have to be briefed on the reasons for that. But the arguments were strong and Brakovich was convincing, so the reporters who were there in court could sort of see it coming, a bit like when you're waiting for him outside court. Mr Brakovich never disappoints with his attire and has now even started wearing stuff to send a message and also guarantee a picture and a spot on the news. Mike, the intention of these laws appears to have been to try and disrupt and reduce OMCG membership. But in, in one vision, they're actually going do, doing the exact opposite because they're giving um, the likes of Mr. Brakovich and others a platform to um, display themselves even more. Well, and, and that's, that's correct, isn't it? You know, you've got... Um you know, again, trying to deter membership, try, trying to deter, you know, young men joining these clubs. But, you know, WA, being WA, and I strongly love Western Australia, but we love to also, um, you know, talk about bikies. <laughs> and, you know, when you have someone like Brakovich, who's, full of, you know, who's a very colourful man, um, who has a win like this and is always willing to flaunt um, everything about his lifestyle, um, it's almost a promotional video, isn't it? Mm. You know, you, you've then got, you know, again, you know, you know as, as we started talk about originally, you know, over the last 25 years, the increase in membership of, uh, of motorcycle um, bikies and, and, and the clubs is just growing and growing. And it's almost becoming, you know, the notoriety of, of, of being a bike is, is very appealing to these young men. And, of course, rather than the government trying to, you know, let, let's just, you know, put a big ruler across, you know, wearing um, patches and colours and those things, they have to look at why a lot of these, these, these young men are wanting to join these, these, these gangs. Mm. And notoriously, um, there's a cold code of silence, or there has been in the past, um, certainly about talking uh, about what goes on. Um, after dark and maybe behind closed doors. But as I mentioned, it seems to me that, that some of the more um, well-known ones are becoming well-known for being becoming well-known, if you, if you know, if you, if you get my drift. They're, they're, they're media savvy. They know that they're going to get attention so they can send a message, sometimes as blatantly as to, to the, the Attorney General via a, a crude T-shirt. Um, in your experience, are... are some of these, um, most of these members, um, the the quiet retiring types, or do they like to um, do they like to see themselves in the newspapers now and again? 
well, I suspect a lot of them like seeing themselves on TV and newspapers. I mean, you know, you look at back, you know, you know, there's a very big difference between the old school bikey who had the long beard and only wore black and never spoke, um, you know, shied away from the from the public eye, and they were, they were the true motorcycle enthusiasts. Then along came came along the the media coined it or someone coined it, you know, the, the, the Nike bikey or the, the Gucci bikey mm-hmm. who are wearing flash designer clothes, the bum bag, you know, the expensive jewellery and maybe get on his bike once every six months. You know, so there's, there's different types of bikes. And, you know, the more that we talk about them, the more that, that the media portray the bikies, there's always going to be that personality that wants to be, you know, seen on the TV, seen in the newspaper, almost a Hollywood-style, um, you know, media notoriety. Mm. And representing OMCG members, colourful or, or black clad, must come with its own set of unique uh, challenges. Mike, talk, talk us through some of them. Well, you know, it's, all, it's always high pressure, um, not necessarily by the client. So, you know, I, I find that, Almost all of the um, the bikers are represented over the years. Um, you know, understand that you know that uh, you know if, if if you're going to plan that environment, there comes the the police attention and the challenges with that. Um, you know, I think the the uh, over the years, you know, the laws got a lot more complicated. Um, and I think if anything, the pressure comes from um, the police putting so much resources into the prosecutions and the investigations that, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's business for the bikies and it's business to have lawyers, you know, competent lawyers that are representing them. And it's just part of the cycle. We, you know, we, we are a, a big part of the cog. Mm. And, um, in one respect, I suppose the lawyer representing has to have some sort of relationship with the police prosecuting. Um, the anti-gang um, crime squad can come across as as uh, quite um, quite direct themselves at, at, at times. Um, what, what happens there in terms of being a lawyer representing uh, someone that the anti-gang crime squad are, are very keen to uh, to see behind bars in some cases? Well, I've been dealing with the gang crime squad for many years and there are some very good police officers and I respect a lot of them. There are, again, some of those officers that I don't respect. Um, you know, what has always staggered, you know, beyond belief is that often you'll find that the police officers that are in the, in the, that, um, are in the gang crime squad often have far more tattoos on them <laughs> than my clients, you know, full sleeve tattoos. And it's, it's almost become an us versus, well, not, not say us, but, you know, the bike is versus the other gang, being gang crime squad. Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, that has its challenges because, you know, both sides have big egos. Mm. Um, I have, and most criminal lawyers have a very good working relationship with the police prosecution and, and the DPP. Um, of course, the gang crime squad, they're police, like any other police, and they are witnesses and we'll deal with them accordingly and cross-examine them accordingly. And, you know, um, they come, you know, for us, they're no more than any other witness. It's more the prosecutors that have to deal with 
the ego of the gang crime squad mm. or the police that prosecute the bikies because they're the ones that are not going to back down. Mm. Yet the prosecutor is the one that's got to go down there and present a case that is flawed. Mm. Now, of course, uh, as I mentioned off the top, one of those um, clients that you res- represented um, for a long time was um, Nick Martin, who um, is no longer with us, having died from a sniper's bullet shot at him as he sat amongst dozens of others at Quanana Motorplex just three months after that brawl with Dane Brakovich. Mr. Brakovich has never been connected in any way with Mr. Martin's death. In fact, one man has already been convicted of being the shooter and another will go on trial next year of ordering that hit. Mike, you knew Nick very well, uh, professionally, and I'm guessing personally as well, having represented him through various legal cases over the years. He had a hard man reputation, that's that's obvious. Was that justified? Look, Nick definitely had a hard man reputation. Um, He... Never, ever um, lost his temper with me, ever once. Um, But, of course, you often need a strong leader to control the underlings. Mm. And, you know, as you can see over years where you have a lot of um, organised crime, any type of, of, you know, whether it be bikers or any type of organised criminal enterprise, that... If the members are just running, running loose, doing what, doing whatever they want, and with no one controlling them, uh, there was going to be far more police scrutiny to the gang or the club than was deserved. Whereas Nick always would control them, whether members liked that or not. He was a very powerful person, mm. and uh, his funeral was one of the more extraordinary public displays of. Um, well, I'll say affection because there were literally hundreds of, of grown hard men there, a lot of them in tears. Um, Nick's coffin was adorned with uh, with money. Um, but what also came across was for all his um, um, reputation, hard man image and um, some convictions over the years, he was also a family man, uh, wife, daughters, um, and uh, you know, a family are obviously loving him and um, and miss him. Um, were you surprised by by that um, outpouring? Um, uh, no, no, no. I mean, I said I've known Nick. Um, you know, I first started representing Nick when Nick was just a a, a low level member of the Rebels. That he, he worked his way up, and um, to the to the extent where um, Sergeant of Arms to president to almost when Alex Vella, the national president, wasn't allowed to come back to Australia. Mm. You know, you know, he was, you know, in effect, um, uh, sharing the national presidency role with Alex Vella's son. Um, but yet Nick um, had a lot of soft sides. He was a family man, um, loved his dogs and was um, a very friendly and fun guy, um, you know, to, to be around. I mean, I... I, I knew him professionally. Um, I uh, did not know him that well socially, but well, him knew enough um, to you know to know the true side of, of Nick, and also to see um, his failings and his concerns um, sometimes when he was up on, on charges. You know, so um, there was a very personal side of Nick. Mm. 
And finally, I mean, we, we started off the top by saying that back in 1974, apparently, the, 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 the state was being overrun. Um, 50 years on, um, the battle, for want of a better word, between the law and the lawless um, continues. Having seen both sides of it, um, how do you think bikies or, or that culture have changed in any way? And do you think the law is ever going to um, change them um, into the uh, into the angels that um, that the politicians would rather them be than the, the hell's angels? Well, they're never going to be angels, are they? Um, and these laws and politicians are never going to change. Um, you know, that part of, of the community. Um, there will always be, in some way, shape or form, people that don't want to abide by the law, um, whether they're bikies, whether they are any other type of general criminal, um, that's going to happen. So, uh, again, over the years, certainly the image of the, image of the bikie certainly has changed, but they are going to be here for eternity. And Mike, is it ever possible to leave a bikey organisation without any personal repercussions? Yes. No, no, well, that's, the, you know, the, the constitution of most clubs. Um, after 10 years of service, um, you become a life member and you can leave on good standing. And what that means is that you can, um, you, you can part ways without um, having to relinquish um uh, your patch or your um, motorcycle or anything like that and you can just be, go back to being an associate and there are many, many old senior bikies who um, uh, have the clubs on good standing. Mm. Look, at, look at Eddie Whitnall's one. Yeah. One of the most instrumental um, coffin, che- coffin cheaters of the day, an incredibly smart man um, Incredibly good businessman runs a lot of successful businesses. He left. He left the uh, coffin cheddars. He, he's no longer an active member, um, and left on good standing. Mm. But still, obviously, friends with them, and uh, you know, um, gone back into um, you know back into civvies. If I can put it that way, back into you know in, into you know, back into the community. Mm. And as we understand it today, Mr. Brakovich is no longer a member of the uh, Hells Angels motorcycle gang, but um, he did um, tip a wink to um, to his, uh, um, well, maybe his protege, um, uh, Troy McCanty and, uh, and, and his um, affiliates. So I'm sure that the next appearance, whenever that may be, of Mr. Brakovich in a court of law, we might get another hint of where his um, loyalties now lie. Uh, Mike Tudori, thanks so much for joining us in Court in the Act. It's uh, it's great to speak to someone who's um, who's uh, been on the law in the law for so long, but also um, seen uh, the inside of uh, of what life as a bike can be both uh, both good and bad so thanks for joining us yeah thank you thank you tim my pleasure so once again thanks for joining us at court in the act you can find us of course at thewest.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts and if you have any questions for us you can mail email them to us at court in the act at wanews.com.au and remember if you want to know what's happening in court don't get caught short See you next time.